eternal, righteous, and invisible Father in heaven. Glory, honor, and adoration be unto your holy name. For you have given us the privilege of life which we know that we do not deserve. If we were to be treated according to what we deserve, we know that we will not even be among the living. But you have done this to us and we ask, Lord, may we be so sensitive to your goodness that your goodness will lead us to repentance. We pray, Father, that this life you have given to us shall be used to the glory of your holy name. As we fellowship with you now, we pray, grant us of your spirit that we may rightly divide the word of truth and that we shall be impressed so deeply with the message that you have for us that it may cause a transformation in our lives or give us more zeal and courage to do that which is right. I commit myself unto you, Lord. Please consecrate me to your service. My own words cannot do any good to those who are listening. Therefore, Lord, I pray for the sake of your Son that died on the cross for our sins to save us. Let this moment be a time of blessing. Use me as a vessel to speak words to your children whom you love, that we all may be lifted up to heavenly places in preparation for the coming of our Lord. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, December 15 Divine Bodyguard At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 When Paul was summoned to appear before the Emperor Nero for trial, it was with the near prospect of certain death. Among the Christians at Rome, there was not one who came forward to stand by him in that trying hour. Paul before Nero. How striking the contrast! The name of Nero made the world tremble. To incur his displeasure was to lose property, liberty, life, and his frown was more to be dreaded than a pestilence. Without money, without friends, without counsel, the aged prisoner stood before Nero, the countenance of the emperor bearing the shameful record of the passions that raged within the face of the accused telling of a heart at peace with God. How could Nero, a capricious, passionate, licentious tyrant, be expected to understand or appreciate the character and motives of this son of God? The results of opposite systems of education stood that they contrasted. A life of unbounded self-indulgence and a life of entire self-sacrifice. Here were the representatives of two theories of life, all-absorbing selfishness, which counts nothing too valuable to be sacrificed for momentary gratification, and self-denying endurance, ready to give up life itself, if need be, for the good of others. The people and the judges looked at him in surprise. They had been present at many trials and had looked upon many a criminal, but never had they seen a man wear a look of such holy calmness. His words struck a chord that vibrated in the hearts 
even of the most hardened. Truth, clear and convincing over true error. The words spoken on this occasion were destined to shake nations. Faithful among the faithless, loyal among the disloyal, he stands as God's representative and his voice is as a voice from heaven. His words are as a shout of victory above the roar of battle. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Divine Bodyguard. We left off looking at how Paul was taken or appealed to go to Caesar because even though Agrippa and Festus wanted to let Paul go, the Jews didn't want that to happen and so that he can have his freedom he appealed to Caesar. But all this was in God's plan. As it is written in the word of God, also written by Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. And this imprisonment of Paul, though brought about by bad circumstances and the wrong understanding of the leaders in the Christian faith, even though it was brought by that, the imprisonment of Paul was going to work together for the good of the whole world. The Lord had a plan. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples concerning their fate in the future, he said to them in the book of Matthew chapter 10 verse 24 and 25, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call the him of his household? So he said to them, this is what is going to happen to you. And in verse 18 to 20, he told them, ye sh just let me say, in just verse 18 now, in verse 18, the Lord said, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And this is the plan that God had for Paul. Now, as Paul had appeals to Caesar, the Caesar at this time, the emperor, is a man called Nero. Nero was a fierce person, one to be feared. But before Paul will get to Nero, there are lessons we need to learn concerning the journey that Paul took. In that journey, it was a very tempestuous one. Paul was taken on a ship and a time came while they were on that ship that Paul tried to speak to the people, the centurion that was in charge. In Acts 27 verse 9, he says, it says, Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the laden on the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the, believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Now God was trying to work something and what was he trying to do? He was trying to make the people have confidence in Paul so that when he preaches to them the gospel, they would listen. So what did God do? God made Paul to give them an advice so that they would know that this man has connection with a power that is above the earth. They did not listen to Paul. And what happened? He came into a very dangerous condition. Reading from verse 16, it says, And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps on girding the sheep and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, streak sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the sheep, 
And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the sheep. And when neither sun nor stars in many and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. So who was it that was doing this? The Lord was rocking the boat. And you know, we should learn one lesson. You see, sometimes God brings tempests upon us so that we can call upon him. He did it with the disciples when their mind was directed to another direction instead of focusing on the Lord. And he came and said and, and stilled that storm that day that Jesus walked on water. And there was this time also for Jonah where the boat was rocked so that Jonah could do what the Lord wanted him to do. And here, because they did not listen to Paul, they entered into the trouble that Paul was trying to save them from. And now the Lord was going to work further to make them have confidence in Paul. Reading from verse 21, it says, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now, I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the sheep. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. The story goes that when they were about to be cast to the island, some people wanted to kill the prisoners. And even at the previous time, some people wanted to escape and leave the boat. But Paul told the centurion, listen to me, nobody must escape. If anybody jumps out, everybody will die. Here it is that as Paul was now being the guide of the ship, the people were having confidence in him. The man who was the sailor was no longer in charge. The centurion was no longer in charge. Paul, the man of God, was now in charge of this ship and giving them direction as he was receiving it from the Lord. And eventually, they landed in an island where there were some barbarians. And they got to know that the name of this island is Melita. All the prisoners, remember that Paul is in chains right now. But for the prisoners to escape, they had to unchain them so that they can swim to the island. All the prisoners swam to the island, but none of them ran away because Paul had told them no one is to run away. And they went there and there were about 276 of them. And here it is that the angel of the Lord had told Paul, all these souls are going to be saved, not one will be lost. Now, it was not just these souls when they landed in Melita. It goes that Paul, when, when he came there, it, read in, it reads in, Mar, in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 28, reading from verse 3, it says, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffered not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit, they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux 
to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases on the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And after, listen now, three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the, in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Amen. What is the lesson from here? Look at how many circumstances Paul faced that looked as if they were circumstances to kill him. First of all, the imprisonment. How did it work out? It turned out together for good because in that imprisonment of Paul, many heard the gospel. And then while he was in the ship, in that be- in being in that ship, those prisoners and the sailors and the centurion and the Roman soldiers, 276 of them saw the marvelous working of the Lord and they knew truly this man is a man of God and the message he is carrying is of a truth, the gospel. And they believed. And then he landed in that um, island of the barbarians where that is called Melita. Three months he spent there. What do you think Paul would do there? Three months evangelism. The Lord was working, making all things to work together for good. Brothers and sisters, this is a lesson for us. You may be passing through tempests and storms. Let us learn from the life of Paul to be calm during a storm, understanding that everything will work together for good. Whatever the storm may be, you may not be in a ship like Paul, tempest-tossed. By the way, Paul did not eat 14 days during this time. 14 good days, they ate nothing because they were about to lose their lives. Nobody was thinking about food. It was Paul who was the first person that ate and told every other person, be merry and eat. The Lord is going to save us. He was in charge. This is the lesson. I cannot say it any better. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Let us not be fearful. Let us not tremble. We may not see after the storm like Paul saw. We may not have an angel come to tell us, you will save all these men. You may not have that. But let us nevertheless have confidence that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. I have been in situations myself that looks very out of place from what I planned. In journeys that will take you days and you are wondering why did this happen. But I remember always singing that song in my mind, all things work together for good. Even as I was seeing it as if all things are not working for my good, I will remind myself and say all things work together for good. Finally. After all this journey, three months they stayed in Melita, and then before that they were on the, they were sailing for weeks. A lot of evangelism was done, so it could have taken up to four, five months before Paul got to to Rome. Then there were many souls saved during that time. Now Paul was to appear before Caesar. In Matthew ten verse eighteen to twenty. We read there, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Paul said in the book of Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, that's referring to Nero, 
and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is saying here, he was expecting that people would stay and help him, but nobody helped him. He didn't need their help anyway. The promise Jesus made to them that the Holy Spirit would give them words to speak was more than enough for Paul. Preservation of this earthly life is not the top priority for the child of God. This present life is worthless, only as it can be used for securing a better life. We are not to hold on to it. I say again, the preservation of this present life is not important. This life is useless. Its only worth is realized when it is used to secure for ourselves a better life which is the eternal life and also when it is used in labor to help others secure that same eternal life by conformity to the life of Jesus Christ. When Paul was brought before Nero, the then emperor of Rome, it was time for God's work and Paul lost no time in dwelling on his case in self-pity or in gloom. He saw it as an opportunity to do what he has all always done to preach the gospel if by any means he might save some. The man he was going to stand before was one who news about him would fill any man with terror. Reading from Sketches from the Life of Paul, page 311, paragraph 2, it says concerning Nero, his frown was more to be dreaded than the pestilence, yet while surrounded by all the outward semblance of earthly pomp and greatness, adored and reverenced as a god in human form, he possessed the heart of a demon. Paul, the aged prisoner, without money, without friends, without counsel, had been brought forth from a loathsome dungeon to be tried for his life. He had lived a life of poverty, self-denial and suffering. With a sensitive nature that thirsted for love and sympathy, he had braved misrepresentation, oh my, reproach, hatred and abuse, shrinking with nervous dread from pain and peril. He had fearlessly endured both. He had been, like his master, a homeless wanderer upon the earth. He had lived and suffered for the truth's sake, seeking to relieve the burdens of humanity and to exemplify in his life the life of Christ. How could the capricious, passionate, licentious tyrant, who had no conception of the value of a self-denying virtuous noble life be expected to understand or appreciate the character and motives of this son of God?" End of quote. There's something to learn in the description of Paul here. Have you ever been in a situation like Paul's own? He was misrepresented, he was hated, abused, reproached, false accusations brought upon him. Do you know how painful it is, especially when it is coming from your own brethren, like it was here, the Jews were his brethren, and even mistrust from his fellow Christians. None of them stood with him. Why? They had abandoned him. Do you know the pain he must have passed through because of this? If you are ever called to pass through such an experience, be encouraged and remember the life of Paul, how it was that he did not drench himself in self-pity. Instead, at such a time, he was thinking of others and how he could bring them to the knowledge of the gospel. Let us now learn how to conduct ourselves under such persecution and false accusation. Continuing the reading, it says in page 313 paragraph 2 of Sketches from the Life of Paul, it says, Again, the Jews urge against the prisoner the old charges of sedition and heresy, while both Jews and Romans accuse him of instigating the burning of the city. There was a time when the city was burnt. Going on, it says, while his enemies were vehemently urging their accusations, 
Paul preserved a quiet dignity. No shade of fear or anger disturbed the peaceful serenity that rested upon his countenance. I'll stop here. This is a lesson that the Lord has been trying to teach me, which is preserve a quiet dignity under persecution. And I believe he wants all of us to learn this lesson. Don't get agitated. Don't let your spirit rise up and you start to shout and speak so angrily because you are trying to defend yourself under false accusation and misrepresentation. We must learn, like our Lord Jesus, to preserve a quiet dignity and show a peace and serenity in our face, in our countenance, in our attitudes because you know you are innocent. Going on, the reading says, the people and even the judges beheld him with surprise. They had been present at many trials and had looked upon many a criminal, but never had they seen a man wear such a look of holy calmness as did the prisoner before them. The keen eyes of the judges, accustomed as they were to read the countenances of their prisoners, searched the face of Paul for some hidden trace of crime, but in vain. When he was permitted to speak in his own behalf, all listened with eager interest to his words. And he said, As Paul gazed upon the trunk before him, Jews, Greeks, Romans with strangers from many lands, his soul was stirred with an intense desire from their salvation. He lost sight of the occasion of the perils which surrounded him. Take note, he lost sight. I know I am pointing this out. He lost sight of the occasion of the perils which surrounded him, of the terrible fate which seemed so near. He looked above all this to Jesus, the divine intercessor, the advocate pleading before the throne of God in behalf of sinful men. Earnestly, he pointed his hearers to the great sacrifice made in behalf of the fallen race and presented man in his true dignity and value. An infinite price had been paid for man's redemption. Provision had been made that he might be exalted to share the throne of God and become the heir of immortal riches. By angel messengers, earth was connected with heaven and all the deeds of man, good or evil, were opened before the eye of infinite justice. Thus pleased the advocate of truth, faithful among the faithless, loyal among and true among the disloyal and disobedient, he stands as God represent, God's representative and his words are as a voice from heaven. There is no trace of fear, take note, no trace of fear, sadness or discouragement in countenance or manner. Strong in his conscious innocence, clothed with a panoply of truth, he rejoices that he is a son of God. His words are like a shout of victory above the roar of the battle. The cause of truth to which he has devoted his life, he makes appear as the only cause that can never fail, though he may perish for the truth's sake. The gospel will not perish and the truth will triumph. His countenance glows with the light of heaven as though reflecting the rays of the sun. Many who looked upon him in that hall of judgment saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Tears dimmed many eyes that had never before been seen to weep. The gospel message found its way to the minds and hearts of many who would never have listened to it but for the imprisonment of Paul. Amen. 
Never had Nero heard the truth as he heard it upon that occasion. Never had the enormous guilt of his own life been revealed to him as it was revealed that day. The light of heaven had pierced the sin-polluted chambers of his soul. He quaked with terror at the thought of a tribunal before which he, the ruler of the world, should be arraigned and where his deeds should meet a just reward. He was afraid of the apostle's God and he dared not pass sentence upon Paul against whom no accusation had been sustained. A sense of awe for a time restrained his bloodthirsty spirit. For a moment, heaven had been opened before him by the words of Paul and its peace and purity had appeared desirable. That moment, the invitation of mercy was extended even to the guilty and hardened Nero. But only for a moment, the command was issued for Paul to be taken back to his dungeon and as the door closed upon the messenger of God, so the door of repentance was forever closed against the emperor of Rome. Not another ray of light was ever to penetrate the darkness that enveloped him. There needed only this crowning act of rejection of divine mercy to call down upon him the retributive justice of God." End of quote. My brothers and sisters, there are many lessons to unpack from what I just read. Firstly is the lesson of not drenching yourself in self-pity. Have you ever been in that situation where you are conscious of your innocence, falsely accused, misrepresented, mistaken, your words misconstrued, false accusers attacking you, people coming against you? How do you react? That was what Paul was facing. But he lost sense of that situation that he was in. No trace of fear or sadness. But if you keep thinking of how you are being falsely accused and focusing on yourself, do you know what you're going to do? The Holy Spirit will not be able to speak through you. Remember that God said, do not take thought what you will speak. God wants to use such occasions when you have these false accusations and all against you. He wants to use them to glorify his name. If you get angry, you will not be able to be used by the Holy Spirit. You will say words that are venomous, that are belligerent and bellicose and speak things that will not bless. If you drench yourself in self-pity and sadness, do you know what will happen? As you are about to speak, you stammer and then the next thing, you burst into tears. That's what will happen. And then you start because you are drenching yourself in self-pity. Let us learn the lesson. Not to drench ourselves in self-pity that will make it difficult for the Holy Spirit to speak through us and also not to cherish feelings of bitterness and anger and hatred that will make us say things we should not say but rather let us lose sight of self. Look above all of this to Jesus, the divine intercessor, the advocate pleading from the throne of God on behalf of sinful men and let us point those who are our false accusers to Jesus point them to the truth. Let them, let them see in our countenance no trace of fear, sadness or discouragement because that your countenance is preaching a lot of messages to the people. That your countenance is a sermon even if you don't say anything. Your attitude is a sermon even if you do not speak any word. That is why I am emphasizing these two things. Let us not get angry. Let us not get bitter. Let us not hate. 
let us not drench ourselves in sadness, sorrow and self-pity because of our condition and because we can see where the end of this thing is going that we may be locked up or people are going to maybe have bad notions about us. Let us not allow that to take possession of us but let us see our Lord Jesus and see those who are before us people who are in need of the truth and preach the message to them in so much calmness and dignity so that they can hear. Nero himself, as he heard Paul, trembled and because he was afraid of the message that Paul was giving concerning Jesus and the coming judgment and also salvation, Nero quaked and because of that he did not destroy Paul. What did he do? He let Paul go. But a lesson from the life of Nero is this. We may never have the chance to hear the gospel a second time. That day, as, as Nero left, instead of having a change of mind, he was lost. Many there are today who are like Nero. When you hear the truth, if you do not repent, the door may be closed on you forever as it was closed on Nero. Those are lessons that we get from there. You see, this experience of Paul, many of us, are to have to a greater or a less degree. Matthew, Matthew 10 verse 18 to 20 says, And you shall be brought before kings and governors for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. When we begin to follow the ways of God, all the kingdom of Satan is astare. Satan's wrath is incurred by anyone who will forsake the world for Christ. And as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In this persecution, we are clearly told by Jesus that we are not to fear or drench ourselves in self-pity over our disagreeable position. This is no time to be in tears and cry like an innocent person who has no other object in life than to preserve his own life. We are at such moments to lose sight of self and think more of the souls perishing all around us and see that time as an opportunity to preach the gospel and win souls for Jesus and into the truth. Reading from Review and Herald, December 18, 1888, we are told, It does not seem possible to us now that any should have to stand alone. But if God has ever spoken by me, the time will come when we shall be brought before councils and before thousands for his name's sake, and each one will have to give the reason of his faith. Then will come the severest criticism upon every position that has been taken for the truth. We need then to study the word of God, that we may know why we believe the doctrines we advocate." End of quote. Again, in Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 217, we are told, Many will have to stand in the legislative courts. Some will have to stand before kings and before the learned of the earth to answer for their faith. Those who have only a superficial understanding of truth will not be able to clearly expound the scriptures and give definite reasons for their faith. They will become confused and will not be workmen that need not to be ashamed. Let no one imagine that he has no need to study because he is not to preach in the sacred desk. You know not what God may require of you." End of quote. You see, presently some of us are already standing before kings in form of our parents and church leaders and also our spouses 
who on account of the changes we have made in our lives seek for us to give an answer for the hope we have in us. What we are reading now says, you cannot give an answer unless you study. We must study the word of God and if you have a superficial understanding of the truths which you are advocating, how can you stand before kings and legislators and before your parents and before church leaders? How can you stand before them? It then becomes us that we should study the word of God very carefully so that we can understand why we believe what we believe so that we will not be confused on the day we are called to give an answer for our faith and and then disgrace the lord let us not disgrace god but then you must start now to study the word of god so that you can know paul wasn't carrying any bible along with him everywhere he was going he was just quoting scripture upon scripture from his head and telling them this is what the scripture says it says here as i said this um Daniel said that and he kept on quoting them verbatim from his head and then he convinced the people even though he had no Bible in his hands and what was the result there were many souls saved and if we do the same thing what will be the result last day events reading page 212 paragraph 1 and 3 we are told thousands in the 11th hour will see and acknowledge the truth these conversions to truth will be made with a rapidity that will surprise the church and god's name alone will be glorified the time is coming when there will be be as many converted in a day as there were on the day of pentecost after the disciples had received the holy spirit end of quote amen so what are we to do in light of this like i have been saying study 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 last events page 66 paragraph 2 to 4 says Christians should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise and this preparation they should make by diligently studying the word of God and striving to conform their lives to its precepts. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Only those who have been diligent students of the scriptures and who have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. Our people need to understand the oracles of God. They need to have a systematic knowledge of the principles of revealed truth which will fit them for what is coming upon the earth and prevent them from being carried about by every wind of doctrine. It goes on to say several times each day, precious golden moments should be consecrated to prayer and the study of scriptures. If it is only to commit a text to memory, that spiritual life may exist in the soul. God's precious word is the standard for youth who would be loyal to the King of Heaven. Let them study the scriptures. Let them commit text after text to memory and acquire a knowledge of what the Lord has said. Build a wall of scriptures around you and you will see that the world cannot break it down. Commit the scriptures to memory and then throw right back upon Satan when he comes with his temptations. It is written, this is the way that our Lord met the temptations of Satan and resisted them. Hang in memory's hall the precious words of Christ. They are to be valued far above silver or gold. Keep a pocket Bible with you as you work and improve every opportunity to commit to memory its precious promises. The time will come when many will be deprived of the written word. But if this word is printed in the memory, no one can take it from us. 
Study the word of God. Commit its precious promises to memory so that when we shall be deprived of our Bibles, we may still be in possession of the word of God. Amen. End of quote. So it is just reiterating what I have said earlier. We must do this. When you have your phones now, it can serve as your pocket Bible. When you pick, when you have a leisure time, what do you do? Don't necessarily have go to social media, YouTube and all of that. Read the Bible. Intentionally commit scriptures to your mind. Not just random scriptures, but those scriptures that connect from one passage to another, proving the principles of doctrine that you believe in. For example, what you believe concerning the creation of man, the state of the dead. Know all the passages that connect from one to another that speaks of the truth concerning this how about the law of god and its validity today you must know all those passages romans 8 reading from verse 10 to 13 first john chapter 2 verse 3 and 4 first john chapter 5 verse 3 you must commit these passages to memory to defend the fact that the commandments of god are still valid you must also know how to defend that the truth is that the word of God stands sure till today. All these things you must learn to commit to memory and you should know how to live by the word. Last day events page 70 paragraph 2 to 4. The ability to give a reason for our faith is a good accomplishment. But if the truth does not go deeper than this, the soul will never be saved. The heart must be purified from all moral defilement. Few realize that it is a duty to exercise control over their thoughts and imaginations. It is difficult to keep the undisciplined mind fixed upon profitable subjects. But if the thoughts are not properly employed, religion cannot flourish in the soul. The mind must be preoccupied with sacred and eternal things, or it will cherish trifling and superficial thoughts. Both the intellectual and the moral powers must be disciplined and they will strengthen and improve by exercise. We greatly need to encourage and cultivate chaste thoughts and to strengthen the moral powers rather than the lower and carnal powers god help us to awake from our self-indulgent appetites end of quote brothers and sisters this is the message the lord has for us today to learn how to conduct ourselves under persecution not to drench ourselves in self-pity and sorrow and sadness and depression that will lead us to burst into tears when we want to defend ourselves or not to cherish thoughts of anger hatred bitterness that will make us when that when we want to speak a torrent of evil words fire venomous words will come out of our mouth instead of words that will preach the gospel to people and our countenance is to show that we have peace with the lord our conscious innocence is to help us carry ourselves with such calmness divine calmness and dignity that the people who look upon us will see the innocence and will want to know this truth that the lord may speak through us and move those who hear with into tears may i say or even just to understand the truth that they may be converted themselves I pray that we all would do what is needed to come to this position, which is study the word so that we can be used by the Lord to defend our faith among those who ask us a reason for it, whether parents, friends, spouses, kings, legislators, and rulers of the world. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for the words spoken to us today. Indeed, you are a divine bodyguard. As you were the one who protected Paul all the way, we believe that all things will work together for our good. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to show in our countenance and in our conduct that we know that all things work together for our good and that we would learn 
preparing now for that day that we may give an answer for our faith and for the hope that is within us that we may be instruments to convert many to the truth even amidst the most terrible circumstances as it was for paul lord is there someone right now who is praying and saying i need to know the scriptures lord may your spirit be upon such a person to help them to commit the scriptures to memory to defend that which they believe and may you give them utterance if there's someone who is about to even go to defend themselves today whether it's before parents before friends before kings before men lord may your spirit be upon such a one that you will give them utterance to speak the truth regardless of how much they know some may not know exactly everything they need to know but i pray you will help them nonetheless but I pray, Lord, that even before then, that you will help us to make that preparation necessary that we may be useful for you at such a time as this. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.